weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. All right, everyone. It's Joan Hamburg, and I'm going to introduce you today to one of the great broadcast producer, stage producer, screen producer, Julian Schlossberg, who's been doing so many things. He's been a guest interviewer on Turner Classic Movies, a podcast, an audiobook release of his memoir, Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life. He knows more about the legendary Elaine May and has some fabulous interviews with her. So you're absolutely doing everything. You sat down with Elaine May. People were talking about it all over the place. You've been involved with the classic movies, Turner, a Peabody Award-winning network. So tell me everything. Life is good, right? Life is good, Joan, but it's always good to speak to you. I have such fond memories of the two of us on WMCA broadcasting. And now, believe me, I'm no competition, but I will be doing a podcast as well. All right, that's fun. I'm glad you're doing that. And what are you going to do? You're going to do them on all the films you are involved in and know? Well, basically, what I've done is I've recorded. It's, it, it just went up, in fact, uh, today when you're be broadcasting. Uh, it just went podcasting. It just went up, and it's you know, it's as they often say, it's available on Apple and Spotify. Right. And, yeah, but it is, know. so it's good. Yeah. But I've interviewed already F. Murray Abraham, Richard yeah. Benjamin, Marlo Thomas, Carol Kane, mm. and Twiggy. Uh, I'm kind of doing a lot of the people I work with and friends, and and soon coming up, I'm going to have Ben Mankiewicz from TCM and Sandy Duncan and the great comic uh, Robert Klein. So there's I a lot him. of folks that we both know that will sit down for an hour and talk about their career, kind of like what I did when I was on MCA. Right. I know. That was really good. That was very good stuff. So tell me, Twiggy, I haven't thought about forever. What is going on with her? Well, she never stops working in England, and she has, speaking of podcasts, I mean, I I keep thinking of the Sondheim song, Everybody's Gotta Have a Maid, you know, Everybody's Gotta Have a Podcast. It's okay, thank goodness. But she's doing tea with Twiggy. And you can get it anywhere. And she's interviewing famous English people. And she she's has a play. There's a play on uh, in England about her life. Mm-hmm. They're starting a documentary on her. I mean, she never stops working. An amazing woman. And she was named a dame recently. Oh, how great for her. So, you know what was so interesting, Joan, was Elaine May does not do interviews, and she just doesn't like doing them. And uh, after a lot of begging and groveling, et cetera, uh, I, we did it on TCM, uh, and it was on. But if people want to see it, I found out, I got so excited when I discovered that if you go to TCM, uh, and then just a dot, not dot com, TCM dot, tribute to Elaine May, all of the eight segments that we did, which averaged around three, four minutes each, right. uh, are on there. So people can see Elaine in her in one of the only times she ever did an interview. Well, that's that's great because 
you know, I hate when everyone says a legend, a legend, but she is, and she's remarkable. Yes, so, the, the, we both know the word legend and genius is bant, bantied around, mm-hmm. but there are very few that either of us have met, and she's certainly one of them. Th- that's for sure. All these people and yes. everything. So, Julian, what do you think? You just said everyone's got a podcast, which is true. But people listen to them. My kids have been listening to them in their cars forever. You know, that's just automatic to that generation. It's so amazing to me, Joan, because of the fact that we both grew up at a totally different time. Uh, And it's so strange. I mean, I'm speaking. I I, I did an audio book uh, on Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life, my my book, and I did. I recorded it, and it's now up, and I'm very happy. But they tell me, and this is what knocked me out. They tell me that around the country, people listen to the audio book while they're gardening. That's interesting. That's funny. So I mean, it's so foreign to you and me that I don't know what to say except how how nice it is that. Uh, as long as they're listening, I don't really care where. No, that's the right thing. And the the secret to the future is to try to predict what's next. You know, as you said, podcasts, everyone's got a podcast, but people do listen to them wherever yes. they are. So what do you think is going to be right on the tail of the podcast? Well, in my case, probably uh, heartache. Heartache. <laughs> oh no! Don't say that. Why? Why heartache? Well, because I'm I'm not I'm just not adjusted to the uh, the world we're living in. This tech world has kind of passed me by. To me, the information highway is bumper to bumper. <laughs> no, I'm looking and true. I'm looking for the exit. I'm looking to make a U-turn. This is just not my life. That I don't recognize what's happening, but I'm trying to keep up. Uh, that's why I did the TCM and I did the book and I did this new podcast. But I'm not as comfortable in that as I was as a younger man. But you know what? You will. And it's something that we all have to adapt to, including the kids. You know, we can't take anything for granted. We have to be ready to go on the next wave because it, it, that's what happens all the time. It's always something new. That's right. It's true. It's always something new. And he, even in, in a short period, relatively short period of time, we went from free TV to pay TV to basic cable and now streaming. And that's right. in a very short period of time. Uh, and also, I'm very nervous about the, it won't be the demise of movie theaters, well, but, there will be, but it's going to go down, down, down. Well, it's gone down, down, down already the amount many theaters are out of business there'll always be i believe a movie theater but as you know many of these streaming companies are launching the movie as a streaming streaming i know and you that know. that is a big problem because um one of our relatives doug lyman you know the producer yes is um having this battle now about a, a new movie that he did that he wants a real movie release because feels yes. that people have to be in a theater with other people and watch it. And they want to stream it. Yes, and, and as we know, when you release a movie in a theater, 
you're starting to let the folks know about it. So then when it goes to the next phases, they've heard of the movie, they've heard of the title. But if you go right on to streaming, you're asking the public, which is being bombarded, as I said, with every kind of thing, they don't know this movie from anywhere. So it seems to me, but we have to recognize that the streaming companies are only interested in one thing. It's not quality of the movie. They're interested in subscribers. They just want to increase subscribers. And in a peculiar way, I think they're hurting themselves because if they went theatrically, and it could be small, it could be just in some major cities, they would have much more, they would then get more chance to get subscribers. Obviously, they don't agree. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, you know, I went um, to the movies, something I rarely do, like everyone else. You can watch them home or whatever. And in a big theater on 60th Street in Lexington, opposite Bloomingdale's. Yes. And it was, you know, at a, a movie time and it was a nasty day. And that movie theater, a substantial size, was absolutely empty. There were yeah. three of us, and the the entire theater, mezzanine and everything, had a total of four others. Oh, my. And I kept thinking, how does life survive for this industry? And when I spoke to my son, who lives in L.A. later on, I said it was really depressing to be in a huge, empty theater with no one. Yes. You know, I mean, they they didn't laugh because there was not enough people to, to hold it. No. Well, I, I had an interesting story. A friend of mine owns a lovely theater in Boston, and he was playing a movie. And just like you, he went to see how many people were there. It's his theater. And there were three. Oh, no. And he decided to just go up to a young woman who was sitting in the theater and he said, uh, excuse me, can I just ask you what made you come here today to see this theater, this, this movie? And she said, I'm the woman in the concession stand. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I know it's sad. We shouldn't laugh because that's we can't a problem. Laugh, but it's kind of laugh. It's just so sad in a way. But from our point of view, I think yours and mine, hopefully things will change. As you said very well, it's, it's, it's changed. Things keep changing tremendously. Who knows what will be next? I, it's, I mean, if anyone ever said to me I'd walk around and make telephone calls from my hand, you know. I know. It, you wouldn't believe it. No. So I remember, you know, when I lecture at schools, I like to go and talk to kids just to see what's going on because I have so little idea of what's happening. Mm. When I tell them there were no remotes for television, they don't believe me. No, <laughs> they, I know. They don't know that we had to get up to change the channel. That's right. And and we didn't have every single thing. If you would have told them that they may not go to the movies because they're going to curl up on their couch, 
they wouldn't believe that they either. That's right. It's true. It's absolutely true. Joan, would it be okay if I read a little excerpt from my book? It's short. Yes. Oh, oh great. Thank you. Thank you. What is it? Tell us. Well, I'll, I'll, it, the book is Try Not to Hold It Against right. Me, A Producer's Life. And it, it's a chapter. It's not a chapter. It's some three paragraphs or so. But it, it just tells a little story that I think you'd be interested in, hopefully the listeners. Uh, right after I had made a movie, co-produced and co-directed a movie called No Nukes for uh, Warner Brothers. It was with probably the only movie Bruce Springsteen ever made, but it was James Taylor and Collie Simon mm-hmm. and Crosby, Stills and Nash, a whole bunch of people. And I, it, I was a pretty successful for Warners, and so anyhow, this is what this, this comes right after that chapter. I wanted to produce a film based on a novel by Dashiell Hammett, Red Harvest. The Hammett estate was controlled by Lillian Hellman. I'd never met her, but since we had mutual friends, they arranged for me to visit her in a hotel suite in Los Angeles. I arrived on time and was shown in by a lovely female assistant. The assistant said she was so excited to meet me as she was a big fan of the movie No Nukes. She was in the middle of describing one of the highlights of the film when we heard a voice screaming from another room, He's here to see me! Who was that? I was quickly ushered in to see Miss Hellman. We talked for a long while. Sadly, the property I wanted was already under contract, but I enjoyed her company. It was my only encounter with Lillian Hellman, but it wasn't the end of her impact on me. Three years later, she died, and then, strange as it may seem, she came into my life almost on a full-time basis, as you will hear later. So that's that. I just wanted to think, you're I thought you'd get a us. kick out of that. Right. Absolutely. You're you're leading us on, and now we want to know the rest of that story. Well, that's what a trailer is supposed to be, right? I know. <laughs> I know. Tell me about Elaine May. You um, are oh, one I... of our good friends. You do a lot with her, and you're one of the few people that really have that access. Well, I will tell you that she's as, as, as the finest friend any man can have. Uh, I asked her to do the forward to the book, and she did. Mm. I asked her to do the TCM, she did. I asked her to do the 92nd Street Y, she did. And she said to me, that's it. No more. <laughs> it's finished. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a wonderful story. Years and years ago, in August... Uh, of I don't know what year, uh, Elaine wasn't feeling well. And I, I, I we lived in the same building. So I ran around trying to get a doctor, which in August is not yeah, easy to it. find, uh-huh. as you know, in New York. And uh, I finally got a doctor. I ran in with the phone and I said, Elaine, Elaine, the doctor's on the phone. So she says, hello, doctor. How am I? <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah. No, she I she's mean, she, great. She is so quick and so much fun and uh and a, and a, just such a great talent by God. The woman the woman a couple of years ago at at a, at a not a young age did eight shows a week, did the Waverly Gallery on Broadway and won the Tony as best actress. She was given a couple of years ago the Academy Award for lifetime achievement. You're dealing with someone who, to me, is, if, if, if you said, oh, you worship her, you've put her on a pedestal, the answer is I do. It's right. true. That's right, because how many people like that are there? Almost none. That's right. I think we have room even on one hand. 
No, <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. And, Joan, and did you ever see Mike and Elaine Nichols and May on Broadway? I'm, you know, I was trying to remember. I'm sure I did, but of course. You know, we all go to see so many things that it's hard to that, keep them in place. It's really true. It it kind of bleeds into another. And then if you've seen clips, then you think you've seen the show. Right, but, but you haven't. But you really have. But anyhow, I mean, this was a show that was sold out every performance. And about eight, nine months in, Elaine said, I'm leaving. Mike said, what are you crazy? We're we're the toast of the town. Everybody loves us. They're coming to watch. I can't keep doing the same thing over and over. I can't do it. Cannot do it. And uh, she left. She left. So. And what happened? They closed. Oh, I had to. Yeah. There was no. There, it would be nickels and nickels. Yeah, I know. It's amazing yeah. when you have talent like that. And I thought of that because I knew you and I were going to talk today. And I thought of the loss in the entertainment world of Cheetah Lavera. You know, and the handful of these great performers. Oh, it's true. I was, oh, I was about 14 years old, and I went to see Mr. Wonderful, starring Sammy Davis Jr. And there were a lot of people in the show, but there was one unbelievably sexy lady who was so talented in a small role, and it was Cheetah Rivera. It was the first time I saw her. And years later, I saw her at a dinner, and I said, you really uh, uh, got me pretty excited in my, in my adolescent years. And she <laughs> Your wonderful that. talent. Yeah, she must have loved that. She was great. and She full got of such energy. a kick out of that. Yeah, she did. No, but, she was terrific. So in your world now, where you produce and direct and perform, you do it all, what do you want to do? Well, I'm going to finish the second book. Uh, I decided, you know, it's so funny. I went on shows like yours. You were kind enough to put me on. And you would ask a question or two, and I think, oh, my God, I didn't write about that in the first book. (laughs) So I said, well, let me see if I have enough for a second book. And I did. So I'm just finishing it now. Uh, It'll come out probably in the summertime. But it's called, I, I, I think you'll like the title, My First Book, Part Two. Oh, I do. (laughs) You couldn't have done a better one. Well, it's really because it continues the stories of the people I've worked with and what it's like to produce a Broadway play, what it's like to produce a movie. Because people, they hear the name producer, but they don't know what a producer is. They don't know what a director is often. And, And a producer is a kind of an endangered species these days, as John would tell you, I'm sure. Um... You, you have to find the property. You want to work with the writer. You have to hire the director. You have to raise the money. You have to get involved in the casting. You have to get involved with the selling of it, with marketing of it, the publicity of it. It's a very, very hectic and tough job, and I believe few people do it well. Right, and can people who decide this is what they want to do, and it seems so glamorous to so many people, how do they get in it, and can they make a living if you're not hooked up and connected to people? It's very, very hard. You know, the famous saying on Broadway is, uh, you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Too, too true. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I was lucky enough to work with the great Larry Gelbart 
who wrote MASH and Oh God and Tootsie. I mean, just a brilliant comic writer. And uh, we were doing a show out of town uh, in Boston. He came with me and uh, it was called Sly Fox with Richard Dreyfuss and a whole lot of people, big cast, a lot of cast. And um, we were talking about going out of town. And he said, if Hitler is alive, I hope he's out of town with a musical. Oh, gosh. Oh, <laughs> because it's, it can be so tough. It can be so difficult. Uh, but, you know, it's also interesting, Joan, to think about the people that we knew on WMCA and, uh, and how that even changed. So many of them we never heard from again, you know? No, that's right. It, they, it, that was in the beginning. That was really big time. Yes. Yeah, yes. And they did a lot. They were responsible for a lot of what people listened to in those days. Yes, it was early talk radio. Barry just, uh, Gray, one of the greats. That's right. And uh, Long John Nebel. Yeah. Malachy's alive. Malachy's great. He's, a, he's such great. a character. He's, he does wonderful things. But I, I think the most important thing, at least for me right now, is just to try to continue working and enjoy what I'm doing. I mean, there's there's a there are so many wonderful sayings, but there was a writer named Christopher Morley, and he said, there is only one success, to be able to spend your life in your own way. And I thought, I like wow, that. that's really yeah, interesting. That and is. it's true. Uh, I, I feel very blessed uh, about it. Someone said, oh, you've had such a lucky life. I said, I wouldn't use the word lucky. I would rather say fortunate, because luck implies I had nothing to do with it. Well, <laughs> but also, I've always said that a lot of people have luck, but they don't recognize it. You know, yes. they don't take advantage of it. And if you let it slip away, it's hard to grab it again. It's true. It's true. I, I keep a little note on my uh, computer, uh, which I, I I got and I found and I thought, oh, then I better cut this out and just put it up. And it says, we are here on Earth to do good for, to others. What the others are here for, I do not know. <laughs> someone named Matthew Arnold, a wonderful poet from England, yeah. who wrote something called Dover Beach, which was a beautiful, beautiful poem. So it's funny that we're kind of both talking in terms of the past. Well, I think, Joan, for both of our points of view, I mean, many times I think some of the happiest parts of our life was in the past. Right. Well, in the past, and I'm a big optimist. I always look forward to what the next adventure will be. And I think no matter what stage of life we're at, I mean, many of us, like, we're not career building at this point, but we're enjoying yes. our careers and everything that comes with it. We have to be ready to take advantage of it all. And, and I, I think that's a wonderful philosophy. And I've always felt that uh, I had the glass three quarters filled. Well... You're Having been, I've met people who really have had it not only half empty, but almost all empty, and I feel terrible for them. And it's not like something you can do about it. It's not like you can go into the store and buy some happiness. Right. You, you just can't. So what, what I've always said, though, when I'm teaching is to say, kind of examine your life as if you're a detective. That's and see what idea. you want to change. See what you don't like about yourself. See what you can do. That's so, a good idea. 
yeah. and take advantage of it all. And don't be afraid. And Julian, I love talking to you. I look forward to talking to you soon. Good luck on your innumerable projects. And don't forget to keep in touch. Oh, Joni, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It always is. We'll talk okay. soon. Okay, honey. I'm okay. Joan Hamburg. And you're listening to WAVC, your favorite radio station.